Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to this evening's sermon. If you don't know me, my name's Duncan, and this morning as a church in our Sunday service, we were reading Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Great time of worship, prayer, and reading the Bible together. And this evening, we've got a one-off. We don't normally do an evening service, but this evening, we're going to read the rest of Matthew chapter 10 together, and I'm going to preach from this great chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I really hope you will gain something for this. Thank you so much. If you're with us this morning and you're with us this evening, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And I hope you're blessed by this sermon from Matthew 10, um, verses 16 to 42, the second half of Matthew chapter 10. But as we begin, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. You guide our steps. Your word speaks to our hearts and brings life in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who has showed us the way, who is our leader, who is our king, who is the pioneer, who is the perfecter of the faith. And Lord Jesus, we want to worship and praise you this evening. And I pray as we read your words that you spoke, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 10, you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you move in the midst of Christchurch Fairham and any visitors, any other watchers watching in this morning, would you move in their lives, Lord God, and speak to them through the power of your word And during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned this morning, we read Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15, and we saw the unique calling that was given to Jesus' apostles. He called 12 disciples to himself and he named them apostles and then he sent them out. And if you look at verse 5, Jesus said in that passage, don't go to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the lost sheep of Israel. Those are the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 10, all about the apostles' mission to Israel. But if you have a look at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 10, which we're about to read together, Jesus says that the apostles will witness before the Gentiles as well. In other words, in the first 15 verses, Jesus is speaking about the apostles' mission while Jesus was still on earth. That's the traditional way that this passage is broken up. From verses 1 to 15, Jesus is sending out the apostles before his death and resurrection to practice mission amongst the lost sheep of Israel. But then from verse 16 onwards in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus describes the mission that will happen after Jesus has died and risen from the dead. And so this second half of Matthew chapter 10 is a mission given to the apostles, but it speaks more precisely and more specifically into our lives. And we're going to spend a long time this morning thinking and learning all about the mission that Jesus has given to his disciples. So let's read together. Let's read that passage. and read Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. This is, of course, Jesus speaking. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so my big question this evening as we read God's word again together, is this. What can we learn about mission and evangelism from this passage? What is Jesus teaching his disciples about what it is to go on Jesus' mission, what it is to evangelise, what it is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others? What can we learn about mission and evangelism from what we've just read? And the simple answer is, it's hard. It's hard. Mission and evangelism are hard. I mean, I hope you saw that in the passage. It, Jesus says evangelism is like sheep going out amongst wolves, verse 16. It's like it includes trials and beatings in verse 17. There's the threat of death on those who go out to fulfill Jesus' mission, verse 21. Those who, who go on Jesus' mission will be hated, verse 22. There will be persecution, verse 23. Those people who, those disciples who go on Jesus' mission will be sharing in Jesus' suffering, verses 24 to 25. There will be conflict in families, 
verses 34 to 36. In fact, to sum all of that up, going on mission, following Jesus Christ, being a disciple of Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus is like losing your life. Verse 39. To follow Jesus is not choosing an easy path. To go on mission as one of Jesus' disciples is to radically and compassionately and sacrificially tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, even when that comes with great cost, great trials, great difficulties, even persecution for the faith that you have. As Christians, we obey Jesus and fulfil this mission, not because it's going to be easy. No, it would be very hard. We do it because we love Jesus and we care about the people who are perishing without him. This evening, I want to invite you again, Christian, to step out in faith. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Go and tell the world the good news of Christ, even knowing the great personal cost and persecution that may arise as a consequence of making that bold, faith-filled decision. Are you with me on this mission to tell the world about Jesus? And I want to, from that passage, unpack six things that we can learn about Christian mission from what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. And the first thing we learn from Matthew 10 about Christian mission, about evangelism, is we need to be wise and innocent. Have a look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16 is like the zoo of Matthew chapter 10, isn't it? Four different animals mentioned in one verse. The animals of Christian mission, if you were. And Jesus says, we are like sheep. Jesus is our shepherd, and we are merely sheep who follow the shepherd. But when the shepherd Jesus sends us out into the world to tell others about Jesus, it's like sending sheep out into the midst of wolves. If you think it's scary telling others about Jesus, if you think it's difficult being a Christian in a secular world, you're not alone in thinking that and feeling that. And you're not wrong. Jesus is saying this is what it's like. It's like sheep going into the midst of wolves. This is a difficult, dangerous and scary task that he's giving to his disciples. It's like sheep amongst wolves. And because it's dangerous and difficult, we need to be, according to Jesus Christ in verse 16, wise as serpents. Good evangelism, good Christian mission requires wisdom. And so why don't you just pray for God to give you wisdom right now. God is is the one who gives wisdom to those who fear him. And so as I preach, why not pray that God would give you wisdom? And I think there's two particular areas we need to be wise as serpents. The first, we need to be wise not to antagonise opponents of the faith. The disciples were instructed by Jesus that when they came to a town and their message was rejected and no one would look after them, they were told to, to wipe the sand off their feet and sandals and move on to the next town. It wasn't stick around in a place 
where people were rejecting the message of Jesus, it was, okay, they're going to be opponents of the faith, let's move on to somewhere new where they will receive this message. And so they were, they were taught not to antagonise opponents, but to move on to those who would oppose the faith. You know, if you're doing Christian mission and all you're doing is taking a loudspeaker and shouting in people's faces that they're going to hell unless they repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you're preaching a true message, but you're preaching it in an unwise way that's simply going to antagonise opponents and raise up opposition. And Jesus is saying mission is hard enough without you being unwise in the way you share the gospel. And so Christians must be wise in this sense. They must know When's the right time to speak? When's the right time to move on? How to speak compassionately and winsomely to those people who might oppose the faith. That's part of the wisdom of evangelism. We need to be wise as serpents and not antagonise opponents of the gospel. And then the second way I think Jesus wants us to be wise is reflected in by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, even though I myself am not under the law, in order that I might win some under the law for Christ. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, in order that I might win some who are outside of the law for Jesus. And so Paul uses his wisdom to build relationships with people who are not like him. He becomes like the Jews in order to win them. He becomes like those outside of the law in order to win them. He's shaping the way he lives in order to build relationships with unbelievers in order that he might share Jesus with them. And we need to be wise in that same way. We need to recognise the different people groups in Fareham and the surrounding regions and say, okay, there's a group of people who need to hear the gospel. I'm going to be like them. I'm going to live like them. I'm going to live amongst them in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So wisdom in not antagonising opponents, but also in, in becoming like people in order to build relationship with them and sharing the good news with them. But... As we become like others in order to to build friendships with them and share the good news of Jesus Christ, we must not compromise our innocence. That's what Jesus says. You need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that means when becoming like someone means joining in with their sin, we run, we flee. We become like a Jew but not in a sinful way. We become like those under the law, but not in a sinful way. We become like those outside of the law, but not in a sinful way. Whenever sin is involved, we say, actually, I can't go there. I want to live in righteousness. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do things that are right and good. And unfortunately, that thing I can't join in with. Jude, verse 23, says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others... Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Do you see? It's the same idea. Go and snatch people out of the fire. Go and reach out. Go and rub shoulders with non-Christians. Go and and join clubs and societies where there are people who don't know Jesus and, and join in with them and join in the games or join in the activities. But as soon as sin is involved, stop. Turn around. Get out of there. Don't become sinful in your quest to evangelise to those who do not 
know Jesus Christ. Yes, we've got to have relationships with unbelievers. If you're a Christian and you're living in a Christian bubble and the only people you know are other Christians, then there's really a mandate upon you to get out of that bubble and go and meet new people. And you might have to wait until after lockdown is over, but make that a real goal of yours in this future to rub shoulders with non-Christians and even to start to, to do the things that they do in order to win them to Jesus Christ. But as soon as sin is involved, you draw the line and you make sure that you do not get involved with that sin. I do think that I have this phrase going on in my head, I think given by the Holy Spirit, who is saying we need to have a holy hatred of sin. And you know, there's different ends of the spectrum here. There are some Christians who spend their entire time expressing hatred towards sin in such a way that they have no non-Christian friends. And there are others who have so many non-Christian friends and spend so much time with them that actually they, they have not recognised the sin that's going on in those relationships. And so we need to have non-Christian friends whom we're getting to know and building relationships with. And we need to hate sin. We need to have a holy hatred of sin. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. For so the Lord Jesus Christ instructs us in Matthew chapter 10. That's the first thing. Be wise as serpents and innocent as as doves. Second thing to learn about Christian mission is this. When we speak, the Holy Spirit will give us the words. When we speak, the Holy Spirit will give us the words. I love Matthew 10 verses 19 and 20 when Jesus says this. When they deliver you over. He's talking to the apostles. When you stand before kings, when you stand before judges, when you stand before Gentiles, when they deliver you over in those moments, don't be anxious how to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. What an amazing encouragement Jesus gives to his apostles in Matthew 10, and he gives to us now as well. When we speak, when we're bold to go to our friends and family and to those around us and share the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit himself, God dwelling within the Christian, will give us the words to say. I tell you, don't ever back out of evangelism because you're worried about not having the right words. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust him. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the helper. He is the one who is with you always. He is God and he loves you and cares for you. And he wants to empower you to thrive in mission and evangelism. And he will give you the words to say in moments when we speak in boldness. I just want to make an observation, a small observation about Christchurch Fairham. In my opinion, even when we're together as a church, we can be quite a quiet church. You know, sometimes getting people to pray out or people to bring prophecies or words, it's just we're just a slightly quieter church than, than the churches I've been in previously. And so I just want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit is with you. He is in you. And when you speak, he gives you the words to say. And so while we might be quiet in church, and I would encourage us to be louder and to have more contributions in prayer meetings and, and more people bringing words of scripture and encouragement, I want us to be quite a loud church in, in speaking the truth of God to one another. 
But when we're outside of the church and we're speaking to non-Christians, let's not be quiet. Let's be bold and let's believe the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. Don't back down from sharing Jesus with others because you think you won't have the words. I tell you the truth, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And you might come away from conversations, I've done this in the past, come away and thought, man, I messed that up. I spoke really poorly. The truth is, God is powerful and mighty to use your rubbish offering to change lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what it, when you walk away and think, I've done a rubbish job, what's actually happened is that the Holy Spirit has helped you and you've spoken words of truth into that person's life that are going to make a difference. Believe and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the words to speak when you share the gospel. That's point two. That's those wonderful, encouraging verses in verses 19 and 20. Thirdly then, when we're on Christian mission and we suffer persecution, it's because we're like our teacher and master, Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 24. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It is enough for the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the story of Jesus' life, you will know Jesus was persecuted. He was criticised. He was maligned. And ultimately, he was crucified. The the Jews, the Pharisees, hated Jesus. He was criticised often and ultimately killed for the truthful things he was saying and the amazing miracles he was doing. And so if we think we can live a life following Jesus and avoid suffering, we're kidding ourselves. We're absolutely kidding ourselves. If they criticise Jesus, who who was perfect in all that he did, how much more will we be maligned as members of the household of God? How much more will we be criticised if we're speaking the gospel to others? Those who follow Christ will be persecuted for their faith. And if we think we might avoid suffering, then we are compromising. It's like if we want to avoid suffering, we're compromising on sharing the good news of Jesus. We're turning around from doing what is right and instead, in fear, avoiding confrontation. And what Jesus is doing in these verses is presenting persecution as a good thing. He's saying the disciple who is persecuted is persecuted because they are like Jesus. The disciple has become like the teacher when they are persecuted. The servant has become like the master when they are persecuted. What a wonderful compliment. So if you've suffered, if someone's criticised you recently for your Christian faith, if someone's spoken ill of you, if a relationship or a friendship's been broken because you shared Jesus Christ recently, take heart. Jesus says to you this evening, you are like him. You are becoming like the teacher and the master. When we suffer for our faith, we're being like Jesus. Take heart. Take heart. That Christian will suffer, will face persecution, but in those moments we are being like our Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's my third point. When we suffer persecution, it's because we're like Jesus. Fourthly, fourth thing we can learn about mission from Matthew chapter 10 
is that we should not fear we should not fear opponents of the faith. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, "Have no fear of them." Verse 31, Jesus says, "Fear not." This is a, a resounding message throughout the Bible that we shouldn't fear others. We shouldn't fear other people. And Jesus, in verses 26 to 33, gives us two very important reasons not to fear. The first reason we shouldn't fear man is because other people can only kill the body and cannot kill the soul. They cannot do anything to our eternal destiny and eternal security in Christ. Look at verse 28. Jesus says this. It's quite a famous verse. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, that is God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There are going to be moments where the apostles have a choice. If they acknowledge Jesus, if they say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, they will be executed for that statement. Or they can deny Christ and save their earthly life. You can see that idea in verse 32 to 33. There's, there clearly is going to be moments when the apostles are faced with a choice. Am I going to acknowledge Jesus or am I not going to acknowledge Jesus? In those moments, the apostles will need to weigh up the power and judgment of humans versus the power and judgment of God. Who shall I fear? They need to, am I going to fear humans who can kill my body and my earthly life will end? Or am I going to fear God who holds my life, my body and my soul in his hands and if I reject Jesus and I'm not saved, I'll be thrown into the fires of hell and die eternally, suffer eternally for my sin. Who am I going to fear? Am I going to fear God who is all-powerful or man who only has the power to to kill my earthly life. If I acknowledge Christ, I will die on earth, but I will go to be in paradise with Jesus Christ. So whom shall I fear? I need to fear God. His power and his judgment are far greater than the power of anyone here on earth. Now for us right now, we live in a country where we can openly be Christian, where we aren't um, persecuted or don't have the threat of execution for acknowledging Jesus Christ. But we still have this same battle going on in our lives. For us, the question is more about whose opinion matters more to me. Do I fear man? Is it their opinions? Is it their comments? Is it their words and their actions which really rule how I live my life? Am I living my life to please man? Whether it be a friend or a family member or a colleague or your boss at work or somebody else? Am I living all of my life in fear of man and doing everything to please them in order that they might praise me? Or I might not get criticism from them? Or do I fear God? Is it God's praise that I truly desire? And we know that every faithful Christian, when they come before God, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So we need to ask ourselves, whose opinion matters most? Is it man's opinion or is it God's opinion? Who am I fearing? Am I fearing man or am I fearing God? And when the Bible speaks of fearing God, it's not speaking about a terror, a, a terror-like fear where we run from God. That's not the fear of the Lord in the Bible. It's not that we are so scared of God that we can't possibly go near him and we run away from him. 
No, instead, fear of God in the Bible is speaking about a reverent fear which is mixed with love and mixed with the truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the true fear of the God, fear of God in the Bible actually draws us closer to God. We know that God is so mighty and powerful and awesome that it's only in him we can find safety and security and love and eternal life. And so true fear of the Lord makes us draw closer to God. We don't run away in terror. We draw closer to God in reverent fear. And fear of God in the Bible also emboldens us for obedience. Those who fear the Lord obey God's commandments. And in this scenario, in this, in this scenario of going on Christian mission and facing persecution, what the fear of the Lord does is embolden us to still obey God even when trials and difficulties and persecutions arise. Now you can look forward to this in the future because in the beginning of 2021 I'm going to preach a sermon specifically on the fear of God in the Bible. And so we'll delve into this topic of what it means to fear God in a biblical right sense um, all the more in 2021. But right now, I just want to hear hear this message. Don't fear man who can only kill the body. Fear God, who has far greater power. The second reason not to fear, given by Jesus in this passage, is the love of God the Father. Verses 29 and 30 speak of the love of God the Father. And, And Jesus says, God the Father knows how many hairs are on your head. Isn't that amazing? In verse 29, Jesus says, he cares for the sparrows. How much more will he care for you, his child? In John 1, verse 12, um, it says, whoever receives Jesus Christ is given the right to become a child of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are God's child. He is your father. And you can always trust in the father's love and help. In every situation you are in, God the Father is watching over you. And so why should we fear man? The all-powerful, almighty God, our Father, watches over us with love. Let's not fear man. Let's rather fear God with a reverential, worshipful fear mixed with love for him as Father. The Christian who goes on mission with a fear, a healthy fear of God rather than the fear of man will achieve much for the kingdom of God. That's my fourth point. Let's fear God, not man. Fifthly, Christians sometimes, uh, Christianity, sorry, sometimes causes serious conflict within families. It's kind of a theme that goes throughout chapter 10. But have a look specifically at verses 34 to 36. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus' meaning isn't that Christians should pick up a sword and wield it in anger and violence and aggression. No, rather what he's saying is that when my message of love comes, some will find it so offensive that they will wield the sword in aggression towards Christians. Christ's opponents will be violent towards those who believe in Jesus Christ, even within families. Fathers will reject their children, mothers will reject their children, children will reject their parents, brothers and sisters will come into conflict because people are so angry and and opposing of Jesus' message. I've seen this, I've met Muslims 
who have converted to Christianity and immediately been violently threatened by the family that they were previously a part of, the Muslim family, and some of the writings in in Islam about how to deal with those people who convert away from Islam are, are, are terrible. But I've, I've met people who have been rejected completely by their family because of converting to Christianity. And so there's an exhortation in verse 37. Love Jesus more than your father, more than your mother, and more than your children. Love Jesus more than your family. That's the fifth thing we learn about missions. Sometimes Christianity causes serious conflict within families. Sixthly, let us see in Matthew chapter 10, being a Christian means losing your life. Let's read verses 38 to 39. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, says Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Just like carrying a cross, and that's what Jesus did for us. He carried his own cross, at least part of the way to Golgotha where he was crucified. Just like carrying a cross, being a Christian requires carrying heavy afflictions, trials and burdens and often involves losing things that you love. You know, when you're carrying a cross, you're carrying something heavy and burdensome to ultimately die. You're carrying the very implement that's going to kill you. And Christians often take on afflictions in the mission in such a way that it feels like they're losing their life. You know, sometimes we lose family members. That's what Jesus is speaking about when he brings these verses. He, he's talking about losing the love of your family. Friendships, relationships. May well, you may well lose those things when you truly live boldly for Jesus. And we need to choose the eternal love of Christ over the temporary favour of people on earth every time. And sometimes that, that will feel like carrying a cross. It will be that painful and that difficult and that trialling. There's great loss and challenge that comes with preaching the gospel. A great deal of time and energy are required of the Christian disciple who wants to really reach out to others with the gospel. We, we lay down things that we love in order to go out into the mission field, into the harvest, to tell others about Jesus Christ. It's costly to do this. If you want to so be a Christian and you just go to church on a Sunday and then the rest of your week you just live however you like, you're not really a Christian. The Holy Spirit hasn't made you alive in Jesus Christ. For the true Christian says, I'm going to give Jesus everything. He gave everything for me upon the cross. I'm going to give him everything that I am in order to love and serve and worship him, even when that is extremely costly. You know, I believe that there are some who are listening who think that they can get away with giving 10 or 20% of their life to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to you, go all in. Deny yourself. To have me. Give up that which would keep you from the mission of God. We want to be all in Christians. I'm going to carry the cross. I'm going to carry my cross in order to serve Jesus. I'm going to deny myself in order to serve him. I'm going to give things up in order that I might win some into the kingdom of God.
That's verse 38. And then verse 39 says something truly amazing. Those who lose their life by following Jesus find true life. Whoever finds his life will lose it, Jesus says. In other words, if you... If your life is here on earth and you go after everything you can achieve and everything you can enjoy here on earth, you will ultimately lose your life or you will perish when Jesus comes again in judgment and you will not enter into eternal life in paradise. So whoever finds their life here on earth will, will lose their life. But whoever loses their life, whoever denies themselves, whoever says, I'm giving things up, I'm leaving things behind in order to follow Jesus and Jesus alone, they will find true life. They will find eternal life and salvation. They will live forever in relationship with God. They will find true joy in life. Jesus, Jesus says, I, I bring life to abundant life, not just ordinary life. I bring abundant life to those who follow me. They will find adventure. There's a real adventure in living out this mission described in Matthew chapter 10, and they will find everlasting love. The Christian life is hard, but also glorious. The Christian life is challenging, but also joyful. The Christian life is, is full of persecution, but also deep, unending hope. The Christian life has threat attached. Execution, death, persecution, insults, maligning. But also the Christian finds complete security in Jesus, and so those threats do not threaten your eternal life, for you will forever be with Jesus Christ. And so in that sense... You, Christian, who would leave behind your earthly life in order to follow Jesus with all that you are, you will find true, abundant, joy-filled, glorious, hope-filled, secure life in Jesus forever and ever. And so I say this over myself and over the church. I really, I really want to be this type of Christian. I want us to be Christians who carry our crosses, who lose our life, in order to follow Jesus, and in doing so, find true, abundant, joyful, eternal life. Are you with me? Let's give things up to go on mission with Jesus. Let's leave things behind in order to share the good news of Christ with as many people as we can. Let's lose our life in order to find it on mission with Jesus Christ. I'm left with one final question. Why would Christians endure such hardship and such persecution? Jesus hasn't pulled his punches in Matthew chapter 10. He's been blunt that the mission of Christ is hard. Evangelism is difficult. Persecution will arise. The apostles were to go to different towns, and in some places some would receive the message, but in other places they're going to be taken to court, they're going to be thrown before kings, and they're going to be put on trial and ultimately to death for the things that they preach and believe about Jesus. The Christian mission is hard. Why would Christians endure such hardship and such persecution? Two reasons. Firstly, love for Jesus. Jesus is magnificent in his perfection. His goodness is wonderful. His love is deep and everlasting. To know Jesus is the very best thing. Full stop. Knowing Jesus is the best thing in my life. No question. I love him. He's glorious. He's wonderful. He, he is perfect. 
Knowing him is such a privilege. And he knows me and I have a relationship with him. I pray to him and he hears me and he answers my prayers and he speaks to me through his word and in prophecy. I, I love Jesus. He's the very best thing in my life. He's a great king whom I follow. And when he says, says go, I go. Because I love him so much. When someone you love asks you to do something, you do it. And so if you love Jesus, when he calls you to go on mission, you will go. We said this morning, didn't we, that Jesus is those who calls people to himself and he sends the apostles out. He has called you to himself. He's called you to be a child of God. He's called you into his kingdom. And he is sending you on mission to tell the world the good news of Jesus. Will you go? Do you love him enough to go? I love Jesus. And when he tells me to go, I go. That's the first reason. Why would we endure such hardship? Because we love Jesus. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this great love that I have found. The second reason we go is because we love others. I pity people who do not know Jesus. It's such a good thing to know him. He is so good. I pity those who are missing out. I really do. And therefore, I am prepared to endure any and every hardship that this world might pour upon me. Any hardship, any persecution, even martyrdom, even to lose my life. I'm prepared to endure those things in order that other people might find the love of Jesus through my boldness, through my obedience, through my preaching of the gospel. Even if it's just one person who through something that I do, hears the good news of Jesus Christ and turns and believes in Christ and knows the love of Jesus Christ, I'm prepared to endure great hardship for that. And every Christian, all of us should have that kind of attitude, that we will endure anything in order that others might hear and receive the love of Jesus Christ. Are you in that place this evening? If not, pray for it. Lord, give me that compassion, please Lord, that I might show that compassion to win others into your kingdom. And so as I draw to a close, let me remind you of those things we've learned about the Christian mission in Matthew 10. We've learned we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We've learned that when we speak, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. So we need to be bold and not doubt and not draw back because we think we might not have the right words. When we're persecuted, we're like Jesus. We're sharing in his persecution. We need to not fear men, but we must fear God the one who can kill body and soul, and our loving Heavenly Father who watches over us. We need to know that being a Christian may well cause conflict within families. It does that as people reject the truth. And sickly, we need to lose our lives and carry our crosses to follow Jesus. We need to lay things aside in order to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who will hear us to anyone who will listen, that some might hear, believe, and receive the great love of Jesus Christ that we love in Christchurch Fairham, that we have received, that we enjoy. So let's go. I know we're in lockdown during the month of November, but let's find creative ways to go on mission during this season. And let's be ready when lockdown, lockdown is over to really be bold in advancing with the good news of Christ. Let's go to our neighbours, let's go to our friends, let's go to our families, let's go to the whole of Fareham, let's go to the surrounding region, to Gosport and the villages and, 
and to Porchester. Let's go with the good news of Christ. Let's go to the United Kingdom with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go on mission to reach the lost. Let's go to the world if that's where God's calling us. Let's go on mission. Even though hardship and persecution will come, let's obey Jesus because we love him and because we love those who are lost without him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your honesty and your preparation in Matthew 10. That you did not lie to the apostles, but you said this is what it's going to be like. And you revealed that mission is hard, evangelism is hard. And yet, even in the midst of those struggles, you were present with the apostles and you are present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You gave them words to say and the father was watching over them in love and will watch over us in love and so i pray now embolden us for this mission i pray we wouldn't be just dipping our toes into christianity but we would say i'm all in may we be prepared to carry crosses to carry burdens and to lose our life for serving you lord we want such an affection and love for you in our hearts that we would give you everything that we've got and we also want such a love and compassion for those who are lost that we would endure amazing hardship in order to reach them with the good news of Christ. And Lord, so Lord, I pray, raise us up as missionaries. Raise us up as evangelists. And as we go, I pray we would see fruit. I pray we would see people saved. Lord, I pray for an advance of your kingdom here in Fareham and in all the areas surrounding Fareham. Lord, come mightily by the power of the Holy Spirit that many would turn and find Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you are so wonderful. We love you so much and we long for others to know you too. Please come mightily in the power of the Spirit and bring revival in this place, Lord. For your glory we pray these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this evening. Really do appreciate your time. I hope you have great weeks and I'll see you very soon. Mm -hmm.